On this episode of Riding the 3x3, Patrick Fetch and myself, Russ Heltman, break down all things involved in the Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff trade between the LA Rams and the Detroit Lions. Then in lane number two, we dive into the MLB hot stove, what's been going down in free agency, what's been going down in the trade market. We talk all of that in lane number two before closing things out in this NFL Super Bowl esque sandwich on riding a three by three with a super bowl 55 taster prop bets underrated players all that and more in this week's riding the three by three and catch us on apple spotify twitter wherever you get your podcast throw us a little five-star review keep supporting the riding the three by three movement let's get in the lane number one opening up lane number one on this super bowl opening Monday edition of Riding the 3x3. It's the big week, people. Super Bowl 55 going down in Tampa Bay, Florida. We got the kid versus the old grizzled vet. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers hosting the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, the Super Bowl winning quarterbacks of each of the past two Super Bowls. First time we've ever gotten that matchup. And we will be dissecting all of that in lane number three. We're going to have a little bit of a, a NFL sandwich on this Monday episode to start the week with the Stafford and Goff trade cruising into lane number one. Lane number two, we have MLB hot stove check-in. Nolan Arenado on the move from the Colorado Rockies to the NL Central. Pat and I, Reds fans, not very happy about him. Going to be donning the Cardinals garb this season and beyond. And we, of course, closing things out. With a fun Super Bowl lane number three prop bets, the favorite ones Pat and I like, along with a key player, underrated key player, that we are eyeing in this matchup in Super Bowl 55. Let's get into it right now, Pat. I hope you had a great weekend, my man. It was it was flying. The news was all over the place. The pod was a little uh, a little prophetic. A little prophetic here. We got a little bit of a nice bump for the pod. Prediction came true. Didn't necessarily nail. Didn't nail at all. We were completely wrong on the location. Didn't have the Rams at all on the uh, docket for Matthew Stafford destinations where he might want to go. But we did predict that he would be on the move before the Super Bowl happened just days later. A blockbuster, to say the least. A trade we can't really compare in the in the depths of NFL history. Matthew Stafford traded from the Detroit Lions to the Los Angeles Rams, for Jared Goff, a 2021 third-round pick, which I think is in the mid-'80s this year, a first-round pick in 2022, and a first-round pick in 2023. I've kind of given my thoughts on the ticket this weekend in various various avenues, Pat, but real quick, your immediate gut reaction when you saw this come across the wire on Saturday night. It was a great little news nugget to get on a Saturday night, hanging out with some of the boys, getting a lot to talk about there. But I was uh, a little bit shocked, to be honest. I mean, my first reaction was, is Jared Goff really that bad? Or poor Jared Goff? Or, you know, like, I was pretty I was pretty surprised that Stafford went for two first-round picks alone as well. I mean, sure, the Rams do have plans for those picks to be late in the first round. And, I mean, McVay has been trading first-round picks like they're absolutely nothing while they're precious gold to the rest of the league. And so a little bit of zig while everyone else zags. I thought it was peculiar. I I, I mentioned on the last podcast that with some of these teams, I feel 
I'd almost want to go big or go home, right? Either stay pat, stay stay the course that you're on, or go get someone like Deshaun Watson. I was pretty surprised at how much the Rams were willing to do and completely blowing up whatever uh, future process they had to go get Stafford, especially giving up Goff. I mean, was Goff, Goff really was a negative asset in this trade agreement, it seemed like, which, I mean, I don't know if that's 100% fair for the kids. So that is, uh, it was all a little bit surprising for me there. But, uh, I mean, does, does it make the Rams that much better of a team? I don't know either. I guess there's going to be a lot of gut, a lot of leadership quality in what Stafford will do. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be a, a very weird change of uniform for both of them. But uh, I, I I don't know if either team is going to win this very much. I think the Lions might ultimately win this trade just because of the first-round picks they're getting. I gave the Lions a solid A for grabbing this much value. And getting an asset back in Jared Goff, sure, he's had his struggles here and there, but the guy's won multiple playoff games against huge name quarterbacks. He's gone on the road and done it. He's 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 played big time football throughout his career, and he's gotten he got that Los Angeles Rams team to a Super Bowl a few years back. So I think he takes a little bit too much heat in comparison to the quarterback he actually is, as opposed to what everybody sees. On his, uh, on his paycheck every week when the uh, old accountant down there in L.A. has to write that thing. So to me, I think it's a great big victory for the Detroit Lions. We'll set them aside for just a second. I am very reticent. If I, I would be very reticent to do this if I were a power broker within the Rams organization, Pat. But how about the, the balls they're showing right here? Sean McVay and Les Snead saying... We we could we we could draft with the best of them. We don't need first round picks. We can go out and get a starter in the third round. We can go out and get a Jordan Fuller in the sixth round. I'm Sean McVay. I've seen what they were wasting in Matthew Stafford's golden cannon arm for over a decade. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who should be getting the thirty million dollars. That's what this move kind of speaks to me, Pat, of these two guys putting their heads together and saying, This roster currently constructed with all of the gold in one pot, so to say, when you look at Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald on one side, and then Cooper Cup, Robert Woods as your core, along with the shipped out and now brought in uh, Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford on offense, they have two years. They have a two-year window to win a Super Bowl. And like you just said, closing out the Rams' point there, Matthew Stafford is an undeniable upgrade. He is a top 12 quarterback in the NFL. Now, is that enough to elevate to top seven, top five status under a current or under a great situation. Only time he's had a top 10 defense in his career, he's gone 11 and five and made the playoffs. But when he's gotten to those playoff statuses, 0 and three in those situations. So this to me, Pat, just showed that the Rams are very willing to bet on talent and bet on this current roster that they have. And you know what? I wouldn't have done it. I think it's a very risky move that could end up blowing in their fa- up in their face, a la the Houston Texans this year, having to give up a uh, a very, very high draft pick to an opposing franchise. But I, I can't sit here and shred teams like we're going to do in the in a little bit in the baseball segment for not spending money and not going after it when the name of the game is to win titles. And the Rams are clearly not satisfied with uh, a second-round divisional exit at Lambeau Field. It, it just seems like a massive risk that the Rams are taking. I don't know if the risk-reward is quite what they... You know, so, I mean, Jalen Ramsey, they were willingly giving up... Did they give up three first rounds for Jalen Ramsey? Two is, is that right? Two for Ramsey. They gave up, 
two frames. But Ramsey again in the prime of his career, young guy. You know they they were I guess they were more in power of the payment that he was going to get. Stafford's only thirty two, and he, I mean it seems like he's been in the league forever. Feels like he's gotten all the injuries in the book. But, I mean, he's still relatively in his prime for an NFL quarterback. So maybe that's what the Rams are seeing as well. Maybe there's eye in a guy who they see really at the peak of his prime. 32, he has the experience in the league. He's seen it all in the league at this point. They can get him in there, and it's going to be, you know, they've already sold it all for, for a guy like Jalen Ramsey, and it's paid off for the most part. So it is a, a massive risk-reward. I mean, I think the Rams, I, I mean, I don't know what grade they get. Maybe a B time will definitely tell for them. But, I mean, I love the Lions side of it, like you said. Getting Goff in there, I think Goff is a great leader. I think he'll be able to, I mean, he, he did it exactly with the Rams. Took a team from the depths of the depths and uh, brought them to a Super Bowl. And there was a lot of help along the way from those around him. That being said, Jared Goff definitely deserves some credit. So, it's uh, And that's it's the question with Goff, though, Pat, is are we going to now revert back to Jeff Fisher, Jared Goff? Or are we going to still keep the relative kind of trajectory that he's been on the past few years where he's hit a little bit of a plateau over the past 18 months, but he showed a lot of improvement once John McVay was injected into that system. Anthony Lynn, offensive coordinator, it seems like they're going to be a very run-heavy, protection-schemed, play-action-based offense to try to tap into the the fountain of youth, so to say, or the, uh, the, the best attributes of Jared Goff's game that he showed a couple years ago when they were lighting teams up. The game that comes to mind is that Vikings game on Monday night when they absolutely shredded that Minnesota secondary and it was some of the best best ball placement I've seen from a quarterback in the NFL over the past five to seven years. So if they could tap into that, Pat, that's the thing. They're not paying Jared Goff nearly as much money as the Rams would have been paying had they eaten the signing bonus and had to pay him his base salary. That's our the the bonus is already going to be paid out by the Rams. So if Goff stinks, according to Dan Pizzuta, SharpFootballAnalysis.com, they only have to pay him really this year with uh, with a a uh, penalty of a dead cap hit. But after next year, they'll save ten million dollars against the salary cap if they were to just release Jared Goff. So a one year experiment. Brad Holmes brings in a guy that he stamped the table for back when he was in the front office for the L.A. Rams and is now the GM for the Detroit Lions. So Dan Campbell also on record, uh, according to Peter King, saying that he likes this move and he liked Jared Goff the most out of any of the quarterbacks on the table from the other eight uh, qualified offers that we heard reported, whether it was Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, um, and the likes of those guys. So... I would agree with them there. I think of the quarterbacks that were on the market, Pat, if you're a Detroit Lions team that needed to bring back a signal caller in return, regardless of whether or not you draft a guy this this uh, April, I think Jared Goff was the best option amongst that crew that was on the block. I completely agree there, 100% agree there. I, I think the, the Lions would have been very hard-pressed to find a better deal than they did. So I'm impressed with uh, what they were able to pull off. So Jared Goff goes to the Lions... And to me, they're doing it the right way, Pat. Kind of shifting over from the Rams' point of view here, who, tying the bow there, I don't know if it necessarily makes them a Super Bowl contender. I'm right there with you. Because of the regression they're going to get from the defense, I think this team was pretty much maxed out this year with Jared Goff at quarterback. The best overall defense in terms of efficiency, and then you had a a near top 8, top 10 level offense with a great rushing attack, but a subpar kind of bottom third 
efficiency level passing attack. And that's that was kind of the the the, the most they were going to juice out of this orange in, in Sean McVay's eyes. So this this helps them stave off massive regression, but it's a massive risk, like you say. And I don't think Matthew Stafford has shown in his time a decade plus in the career uh, in his career that he can be a top five quarterback. Maybe he can enter that top seven range, which you have to have to make a Super Bowl. But I don't know if he's going to be top five next year. Looking at the Lions, though, Pat, I love this for them. This is a great job, and it's a a very self-aware move, recognizing that you're in this for the long haul. You destroyed any kind of flexibility with your roster by trying to recreate the Matt Patricia New York New uh, New England Patriots of Allen Park, M- Michigan. And now you just kind of wipe it clean. You get long, big deals to both your GM and your head coach and Dan Campbell, who got a six-year contract uh, a couple weeks ago. I love it. They, they have a bunch of draft arsenal to decide whether or not they want to go get their quarterback of the future this year, which I, I honestly wouldn't mind them punting away, taking the best player on the board. Maybe it's a Jamar Chase or a Devontae Smith. You inject that offense with a playmaker for Jared Goff. You see what he can bring you. Uh, in year one in a motivated season. And if he's terrible, then fine. You can get rid of him and you have the draft arsenal to get whatever quarterback or move up whatever spot you want in the 2022 uh, quarterback race. I 100% agree. I love all of your takes there. I would love to just uh, step back one sec, though. And what do you think about Matthew Stafford? I mean, I guess you called it the only team that he said no to was going to play for uh, the New England Patriots and rejoining Patricia over there, which I thought was pretty, pretty funny. I mean... From everything that I've seen from Matt Patricia, he does seem uh, like that unlikable of a human. So I'm not extremely surprised by that move by Stafford. But yeah, back to the Lions. I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know what they need, but I definitely agree the best available should be their mindset at every single pick this year. You know, you, you've got a quarterback now, you're going to run with them, see what you can do. You might as well build up the rest of that team because, I mean, yeah, they, they have to be looking at their roster and thinking they basically need someone at every position on the entire field. So I think they would be foolish to not be drafting strictly the best available player in their eyes i don't know necessarily if that's going to be a wide receiver but yeah should, just, uh, whatever sure whatever I, I that was the first one that came to mind those guys maybe being bpa in that spot of the the uh top 10 but why can't jared goff be the alex smith that he that kansas city used to eventually get um get patrick mahomes obviously i don't see the lions getting into the playoffs anytime soon with jared goff but he can be that bridge quarterback and this is the thing that I think more and more franchises are going to start realizing, look at the teams in the Super Bowl right now, Pat. Look at the teams with sustained success in the NFL. They build the program. They build the culture. They get most of their pieces put in place first, and then they inject the roster with the rookie quarterback contract. You yank out the bridge quarterback money. You have that little buffer there to be able to tie up the loose ends. And there you go. In year one, year two, you're ready to compete for a Super Bowl, not building step-by-step. And by the time you're ready to compete with that rookie quarterback, you're already in year three, four of that deal, and you only have a pinched window one season to really maximize that whole roster. So to me, I love this for the Lions. They're taking the long road. You can't expect success year one, maybe not success year two. But once they find that quarterback of the future, you, you got to think they're going to be able to do it. And I'm not. I'm trying not to look at this pat with a Lions with Lions Honolulu blue colored glasses here because. 30 plus years without a playoff win it's it, it, it gets hard at some at points to respect a rebuild that seems like it's been going on for the better part of 4 years but they're finally stripping it to the studs it's it's an absolute uh, amazing thing going on i mean 
I, I, I just don't, I don't know what the, what the solution's going to be. It's going to be very, I'll be so impressed with Jared Goff if he's able to go into Detroit and just turn and, and really just turn that trajectory of the team around like he did for the Rams. I don't, I'd be very intrigued to see what he can bring to as just far as a mindset and what he learned from the whole McVay system. But uh, it is, I, I am pretty dumbfounded by everything we talked about last week. We named like 10 teams. It was shocking that this ultimately was uh, the pairing and the partnership that worked out because I did not in any way foresee this quarterback swap happening. So it is, uh, it's hard. I know it's because when I brought me. it up, we were kind of going through the teams. Right when I ticked off the Rams, I was like, well, they're married to Goff. I thought they were just married to him. I didn't think a team, I didn't think they would be willing to give up a first round pick like an NBA salary dump. <laughs> really? It, it's exactly what it almost felt like. And I guess McVay really is just heartless and calculated. We'll see how good he is out there because this could be an ultimate pie in the face if it doesn't work out for the for the Rams or if, if Stafford can't stay healthy or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. But uh, hey, We saw that last year. Stafford had right? the best seven-game stretch of his entire career. Obviously, Sean McVay saw that, and he's salivating right now. But he injures his back. That's become a little bit of a problem. He had a lot of nagging injuries this year, entering his age 33 season. It's funny to say age 33 when you got a 43-year-old quarterback making his third start in his 40s in the Super Bowl with our guy Tom Brady. We're going to discuss a little bit in the final segment. But, yes, that's something you have to take into account. And the thing to me that is a big bonus for the Rams is Matthew Stafford said he doesn't care about money, similar to your guy uh, Ben Roethlisberger coming out this week and saying he also doesn't care about money. These veteran quarterbacks that haven't tasted that glory, or in Ben's case, haven't tasted that glory in a long, long time, they've made their millions. Matthew Stafford's made over $200 million in a Lions uniform. He is willing to do seemingly whatever it takes for the Rams to maximize their future in this two-year window, which is all, which is what it's all about. Les Sneed knows if this team crashes and burns, he's out anyways. So why not try to go get a Super Bowl? And if you're Sean McVay, it's kind of... Put up or shut up time a little bit. Like he's he is the golden boy. He is very successful. We list off all the halftime lead uh, stats, all the perfection there. But at some point in this league, you got to win. You got to you got to put your money where your mouth is, especially when you've given up. Pat, let's see here. We're gonna go almost two presidential administrations without the <laughs> Los Angeles Rams selecting a player in the first round. Eventually, the golden boy shine starts to rub off of. Rub off the reputation a little bit, and Stan Kroenke, with that big old multiple billion dollar stadium, looking to fill that thing up, he's going to start wanting some answers. But obviously, when you get a guy like Matthew Stafford, it's going to help punch the tickets through the gate. Very intriguing uh, trade. Yeah, go ahead, Pat. Oh, I was to say yeah, they replaced Brendan Staley yet, and it seems they did Raheem Morris. And I was yeah. going to say that's probably been the most impressive thing so far about McVay's coaching uh, you know, coaching career is his ability to go out there and get really, really good assistant coaches. I mean, everyone he's gotten has gotten hired out as a head coach next year. So it'll be uh, impressive how he's able to warp a new personality around the defense and the new quarterback. Mm-hmm. Raheem Morris can be almost as important as McVay and Matthew Stafford when you think about having to maximize another influx of draft picks that two or three guys are likely going to have to be starters when you think about at least one at the safety position, John Johnson, most likely not going to be able to be brought back after the uh, the acquisition of Matthew Stafford. So cruising in the lane number two, another acquisition, acquisition, another trade that went down, this time in the Major League Baseball pipeline. Get out our tiny violins, Pat, as mm. the Cincinnati Reds sit on their hands, the old St. Louis Cardinals, the the model of consistency 
in the National League have not had a season below 500 since 2007. Pull off a blockbuster trade for Nolan Arenado. Uh, it's a straight-up multiple prospects being sent from the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm not going to bother with their names, Pat. They don't really matter. Top, they're not even. None of them are in the, are in the top 100. The the Cardinals even got 50 million dollars in cash brought over uh, along with Nolan Arenado. This, can you make this? Can you make this make sense to me, Pat? Can you make this make sense other than? The Colorado Rockies are just completely putting up the white flag in a pandemic season. Uh, you, you, you got it right there on that last <laughs> point. I mean, this has been three years coming for the Rockies. It's been pretty confusing, their whole management. Uh, it's, it's clearly been an ownership that doesn't want to disappoint a fan base too much by getting rid of star players. And, I mean, I think that's sort of an admirable mindset and, and fair, but... That being said, they've completely hamstrung themselves. They had no real hope in their pitching and no real hope to maximize a team into creating any real deep push. Uh, all they had was you know, a couple really elite hitters. And now they're to the point where they kind of just, you know, they, they out-leveraged themselves. And now, yeah, they had, they had to get rid of Arenado. They had to eat the cash just to get back whatever they could from them. The thing is they still have another in Trevor Story at shortstop where I don't know how the story is going to be much different whenever he gets dealt eventually. But... Uh, yeah, it's there's a lot of bad management decisions going on in baseball right now. I think the pressure of the pandemic and whatever, uh, you know, smaller increase in funds that they expected, it, it's it's causing a lot of very head scratching moves around Major League Baseball, and a lot of teams are capitalizing. Cardinals being one of them, like of course they always are. Insane, insanity, Pat. Uh, send around fifty million dollars to cover portion of the six-year $199 million left on Arenado's deal. I, I, I don't know. Like, Are we going to get the same Arenado that we saw from 2014 to 2019 when he was raking out, raking up statistics, unbelievable power hitter, I believe it was over 40 home runs in 2019, was his best season in the majors, definitively a top three, arguably number one defensive third baseman in the game or are we going to see more of what we had last year where he was right around the 250 hitter as a Reds fans Pat I think we're going to unfortunately see a prime Arenado cook for at least two to three years because he was really just hampered by injury last year played through a played through an injury all season long and shut it down with about nine games to go He's going to seemingly be pretty healthy to start this year and the main power plug for this lineup in St. Louis. I mean, uh, you bet your butt. He's only 30 <laughs> years old. And, yeah, I mean, last year I think was kind of just a throwaway year for a lot of hitters, especially if you're trying to compare numbers. The sample size just wasn't there for a lot of them. And, you know, it was tough to get a groove. I I, I kind of just throw last year out the window for a lot of players. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think Arenado included. I wouldn't be too worried about his production whatsoever. I think the Cardinals definitely got an elite, elite third baseman, probably uh, the best in the National League. What does this say to you about the trajectory of the season for St. Louis now, Pat? It was kind of a jumbled up mess so far in the NL Central. Not a lot of movement, not a lot of teams making that big splash until now. Does this do enough to make the Cardinals the prohibitive favorite? Or is there still going to be a kind of logjam there at the top with, with, uh, with the Cubs, Milwaukee, uh, Cincinnati, and St. Louis? I mean, I still think our Reds are probably the favorite in the division, Russ. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. 
and I and I think I mean the Cardinals pitching I think is definitely going to be a point of concern for them. Jack Flaherty has uh, you know improved and progressed, developed into a top tier ace in Major League Baseball. Absolutely, their bullpen is going to be a massive question mark. Andrew Miller has been very inconsistent for him. Jordan Hicks has been dealing with some injuries, and with how explosive his arm is, I'm sure that's a little bit concerning for them as well. Their lineup is going to be a huge question. I mean, the the, the gritty uh, lineup of the Cardinals for a year that have just been you know, playing baseball the old-fashioned way, are they going to be able to just win enough close games? I don't know. I don't know if their their bullpen is set up for that way. Goldschmidt is going to need to have a definite bounce back year if that lineup is going to be as dynamic as they want it to be. But um, I mean, they definitely have great. They got great hitters in that lineup, whether it be Goldschmidt or Tommy Edmond or DeJong at shortstop. So um, it's. Uh, I, I still think the Reds are definitely the the favorites just because of the pitching aspect. I think mm-hmm. the Reds' starting rotation is going to push them over the top there. But uh, especially with the one hundred sixty two game sample size now yeah. that's going to that's going to bear itself out even more despite the the projected loss of Trevor Bauer this is still going to be the best pitching staff in the in the in the division I think and and you're right Pat even with the addition of Arenado they're going to need him to be peak Nolan Arenado like him and Paul Goldschmidt are going to have to be the best one two punch in the division cuz outside of them there's just not a lot of offense like they're 24th in, uh, in in the majors and home run rate in 2019, 2020, like they they just weren't a very powerful team at all. So f- finished last in the majors last year in home run rate. Like consistently, they're not a team that gets the ball or gets the runners over the plate very very often. And I don't see that changing very much well, with Nolan Arenado, even if he gets massive massive production. They're going to need that whole lineup to elevate itself. I mean, as Reds fans last year, we, we might as well have thought we had the worst offense in all Major League Baseball. But uh, if matter of the fact was, we still led. The Reds still led the, the National League Central in OPS last year. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, give that Reds offense 162 games to figure itself out and get a groove, too. They had some uh, brutal luck, line. too, on, on, on mm-hmm. balls in play. It was, it was rough. It was rough. So 162 games. We will see if we get a full 162-game slate. There is chatter, Pat, of uh, different negotiations going on between the union and, of course, with Arizona, the home of many uh, spring training sites, being one of the higher uh, higher case rate states for COVID-19 at the moment. They are monitoring all that all the same. Nolan Arenado, the big blockbuster deal so far trade-wise in the MLB hot stove season. Pat, let's go ahead and uh, I'm going to toss it over to you for what you're looking at in terms of the other big overarching story that is playing out throughout the rest of the Major League Baseball offseason. Sure. Um, we'll go with, I got a couple storylines that we can run with. And the first, we'll just start with um, the most fun team. You know, so last year I spent a lot of time talking about the San Diego Padres and for good purpose. They were extremely fun. They went out to win. And uh, they're going to be very fun again this year. They went out and got you, Darvish. Obviously, I'm talking about the likes of Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado, uh, Danielson, Lamette, and all of the fun guys, young guys that the Padres have. They're going to be electric next year. But uh, the team to watch out for, this year's version of the Padres, it's uh, it's in the American League East, and it's the the, uh, the team in Canada. It is the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> the Blue Jays are uh, going to be a very, very fun team. Made a couple splash moves this offseason, getting George Springer, obviously from the Houston Astros, and then picking up Marcus Simeon, a guy that I really love 
from the Oakland A's. Thought the Reds might have a chance to grab him as the shortstop. But no, he went up north to Toronto. He's going to play some second base for him on a pretty good uh, team-friendly contract. But this is uh, just an extremely fun team, okay? We got uh, just uh, MLB blood through and through this lineup. Obviously, you got Vlad Guerrero Jr., the son of uh, senior Vlad Guerrero. You got Calvin Biggio the son of uh, Craig Biggio, the old Hall of Famer for the Astros. Mm-hmm. You got Bo Bichette, son of Dante Bichette, old Rocky and old Red player. You got Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who I believe is the younger brother of uh, the Gurriel with the Astros. Um, so you've just got MLB blood all through and through this lineup. Very young team, very fun. Uh, Hinjin Ryu, who they grabbed from the Dodgers not too long ago is heading their rotation along with Nate Pearson, who's a young guy. He's got a rocket arm. He's somebody to look out for this year if you like young fun arms. Kirby Gate Kirby Yates is uh is uh closing out that bullpen too. So they've got really, really solid names, really, really strong name uh blood all over the lineup and they're gonna be fun they've got a great mix of veteran guys and fun electric young personalities and so if you need a team to look out for a team to watch a team to put some futures on maybe to uh make the playoffs and for you to enjoy throughout the year toronto blue jays will definitely be one of those teams for me i think that uh you're gonna have a lot of fun watching their highlights watching their games this year do they have enough pitching pat that's the question we know this lineup is (laughs) we know this lineup's gonna be able to rake but do they have enough pitching what do you think I don't know if the lineup's going to rake either because they're such young guys. You're going to have there's a lot of uh, very crucial development points I think in a lot of these guys' careers coming up. Whether Vlad Guerrero can become more of a you know contact hitter, rely less on his power will be a huge. If Marcus Simeon can have a bounce back year, I think he could be a huge sort of production point mm-hmm. in the middle of that lineup to be some bridge to the other guys. But uh, it's going to be very interesting to see which of these guys might be able to take the next step for this team because that's really what they're going to need, whether it be Bichette, Biggio, Guriel. They're going to need one of them to really take that next step. And so this team might be a year away, two years away. But uh, as we move into the next topic, could be one of those points too if they can plug and play a rocket ace. And uh, they could have some very, very interesting uh, moves down the road that set them up to, to make a run, whether it be this year or in the next couple of years moving forward. George Springer actually commented on all that that young talent. That was one of the big selling points for him signing with the Toronto Blue Jays this offseason. $150 million six-year contract was a record franchise spending mark for the Toronto Blue Jays. And he named guys like you meant, Bichette, Guerrero, and the likes of them. Said that it reminds him a lot of the crew that he was a part of three to four years ago when the Houston Astros uh, eventually won the World Series, and he joins a, a above 500 team last year, made the playoffs, uh, were unfortunately slept, swept in the first round by the eventual AL champion uh, Tampa Bay Rays. But I love I love what this team is looking like, Pat. This might be my American League team this season. I'm, I, need, I need need a team across the way uh, other than the, the Cincinnati Reds. Are they a candidate for Trevor Bauer? What do you think, Pat? What is the situation with Bauer? Where do you see this going? Seven, uh, basically seven of the top ten MLB free agents on M- are on ESPN's top list right now have been signed. One of the three it, that is still in the market is Trevor Bauer. It's very, very. I don't think that the Blue Jays are going to be able to pull enough juice together to uh, to per, you know to get to pursue Bauer and get him over there. Yeah, it, that was uh, more of it, me trying to get a transition in there. No, and no, and I love it, and I love. 
I love the thought too. I just don't know if the I, I was going with the same way. I don't know if the money is there for the they would Jays they would have to be our happen. AL team though if Trevor Bauer is the, is the ace. Him and Hyunjin Jun Ryu. That's that's a nasty combo right there. That would be a very fun top two combo to be honest. It'd be a lot of filthy movement going on on mm-hmm. the top of that rotation. But uh, I don't know. I think honestly the most fun landing spot for me now for Trevor Bauer would be the New York Mets. Russ, what do you mm-hmm. think about that? I think that's where it's going to end up happening. They're kind of feeling around each other right now. I know Jeff Passon of ESPN uh, had an article the other day where it, it's kind of a cat and mouse game between Bauer and the Mets right now. The The thought was they were going to be maybe in on George Springer, but they eventually couldn't get to the same uh, semantics within the deal. So I think they're going to eventually play the long game with Trevor Bauer. They'll, they'll figure something out and bring him in. This, this feels like one of those that happens a week, maybe two weeks before spring training. And we're getting to that point right now. It's it's going to be about – we're about three weeks out from when people are supposed to start reporting. I think that's what eventually gets done, Pat. New York match, Trevor Bauer, it makes it just makes too much sense. Yeah, I think Bauer is trying to play a little bit of hardball with the, with the rest of Major League Baseball right now. And I've seen some reports that Major League Baseball, you know, a lot of the teams have actually soured on him a little bit. I have seen, too, that talks with him and the Angels pretty much have dissipated. I guess there's just way too much of a disconnect between him and Mickey Calloway, who is now with the, uh, with the LA Angels. He was a, a former coach with the, with the Indians while Bauer was there. But um, I... Uh, yeah, I think the Mets would be an extremely fun place for Bauer. You obviously got the last two NL Cy Young winners with DeGrom and Bauer at the top of that rotation. You plug Francisco Lindor in at shortstop. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you've got star power all over that line. You've got an electric team, and uh, I think immediately makes you a very, very interesting you know, discussion for running deep into the playoffs. Because if you can put a one-two punch together like uh, you know DeGrom and Bauer, we just saw it with their uh, division foe in the Washington Nationals, who went on to win a World Series with just an electric top two punch of Strasburg and Scherzer. Obviously, Corbin with their number three. If uh, Syndergaard can return to form at all, and the Mets can run those top three out there, oh, it would just be uh, a dangerous, dangerous combination for the rest of the league to have to go up against. And so I'd be about it. I think it'd be kind of fun to see the other team in New York uh, spend some money and be the bullies because the Yankees, as much as they're trying, just keep just keep missing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And And, and the Mets... Like they have to, they have to become become the big brother at some point. Yeah. Go up and punch big brother a little bit. And apparently, not willing to go above the two hundred ten million dollar luxury tax threshold. That's why they kind of ducked out of the George Springer George Springer sweepstakes. Say that ten times fast. After they traded for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, I think that would be a lot of fun. Pat, maybe also uh, San Francisco Giants landing spot. For Trevor Bauer, with him loving the Silicon Valley effect, they could just throw all the money at him. A flip side of that, though, I don't know if the Giants are going to be competing yeah, anytime soon, know. and we know Trevor Bauer wants to be in a location where he can win. Yeah, yeah, I don't think the Giants are in any position to it. I think the Mets ultimately are going to be almost the only only place that works out, and I do think it will be a nice mutual match for the two. Fantastic, fantastic. So it will be hot stove closing that out in lane number two. George Springer becomes a Blue Jay, moves on from the Houston Astros, and we have Nolan Arenado, the other big name so far the past couple months. Moving from the Rocky Mountains to uh, to the halls of Anheuser-Busch. Going to get himself a little beer tasting going out there with Budweiser and the St. Louis Cardinals. 
Lovely, Pat. Just lovely. Another great player in the uh, NL Central, not wearing a Reds uniform. Gotta love it. Lane number three. <laughs> Here we go. Super Bowl 55, the taster edition, the taster lane for this Monday show. Not necessarily a full-on game-by-game, snap-by-snap, prediction, lowdown. We'll save all that for Thursday for the full-on preview. But I want to give some player, or Pat and I are each going to give a player that we think is going to have an underrated or sneaky impact on this game. Number one for me, he is the first-round pick for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from last year's draft, number five overall, Mr. Devin White. 97 tackles this season, third amongst uh, NFL defenders, nine sacks. He was tied for 14th overall, forced fumble as well. This is a guy that can cover sideline to sideline. He, I think, will be the best um, use the best com- combination, the best combatant to go at a player like Travis Kelsey when you think about needing a guy to cover him in the open field. If anybody can do it, I don't think really anybody can, but if anybody's going to do it, I think it's Devin White. Him blitzing from the linebacker spot against a very banged-up Kansas City Chiefs offensive line and him covering Travis Kelsey, Pat, make Devin White one of the most impactful, sneaky, under-the-radar players in this game. Had 15 tackles against Green Bay, 11 tackles against New Orleans. He has stamped his impact on these playoffs so far, and I expect him to do it once again and do it emphatically if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to end up coming out on top in this one. I don't hate that selection at all, Russ. And I got a few players if we're gonna if we're gonna go on. Uh, oh, you got a this couple. Sort of pattern. Like yeah, it. we're just let's just rip a few players who I think can be uh, underrated playmakers. And since you started with the Bucks defense, I'm gonna start with the Bucks defense. And uh, maybe not so under the radar after last game, but Sean Murphy Bunting. Mm-hmm. I think that he could make a massive, massive impact in this game. The uh, the young and out of Central Michigan, he had a fantastic game in their last go around against the Packers. And I don't know if you were watching, uh, listening to Tony Romo and Jim Nance call the Chiefs-Bills game, but one thing that Romo was just insistent on, he could not get over the fact that uh, the Bills were not more aggressive at the line of scrimmage on the Chiefs receivers, that they weren't trying to bump Kelsey, bump Tyreek Hill at the line of scrimmage. Well, if you watch the Packers game, Murphy Bunting was all over the Packers receivers all game. He was in their grill. He was at the line of scrimmage. He was pressing. I think that could be a massive difference maker in this game. If they can get, if Bunting can be a, be close to the line of scrimmage, get his hands on Kelsey and Hill in certain situations, disrupt the timing, disrupt the routes, maybe make a big play or two, maybe get away with uh, you know some sticky hands like he did in that last game, could be a huge difference maker. He plays so aggressive, plays uh, very physical. The Chiefs might not be completely ready for that. Might throw them off the rhythm just a little bit. So there's one of my uh, low-key playmakers in this game, Sean Murphy Bunting. Using the name to the advantage, Pat. I like that. Finding the inefficiency, Bunting, right there. Or that is an inef- it is a, that is a total inefficiency in the in the sport of baseball. Finding that right there in the Tampa <laughs> Bay Buccaneers defense. Three straight games for Mr. B- Murphy Bunting with an interception in these playoffs. He's got four passes defensed overall. A very keen knack for the football so far in the 2020 postseason slate. I like that one. You got another one for me? Sure. Do you want me to rip another? I got another buck for you. And, uh, I mean, we talked about it. Though The Bucks went out and they created a fantasy football team. They got the likes of Mike Evans and Leonard Fournette and Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin. But the one guy who always just shows up when they need the biggest play of the game, whether it be a third down, little pistol route, or be, be three seconds left in the first half, Scotty Miller, the mm-hmm. BGSU kid, the pride and soul of BGSU, Bowling Green. 
he just shows up. He's quick. He's indecisive. He's a gym rat that the that the defense isn't prepared for when the speed hits the field. I just have a feeling Scotty Miller is going to get in the game in a very important situation. And uh, whether he makes the play or not, he's definitely going to find his way getting some important targets in this game. And he is a massive, massive matchup nightmare. He's so quick out of the slot. And so if he gets a chance to make a play, watch out for Scotty Miller because you, you can see that Tom Brady has a trust in him in big moments. I wrote for allbangles.com this week, Pat, kind of taking a Bengals-looking view at what this team can do to copy and mold themselves in the uh, eyes of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Scotty Miller played a big factor in that article because they found this guy, this Jim Speedster, in the late round. Sixth overall, or 208th overall pick in the sixth round uh, in last year's 2019 draft out of Bowling Green, like you mentioned. Four th- sub 4-4 four, four speed off the break, can get out of his, can get out of jams very quickly, can get past press coverage, and that's what you have to have in today's NFL. Our, uh, our our guy, Kevin King, did not respect Scotty Miller last week and came back to bite him with about eight seconds to go in the first half. He was a huge X factor in that game. I like that pick right there, Pat, Mr. Scotty Miller. Props, our favorite prop to close out lane number three that we've seen so far on the betting slates in the Super Bowl 55 lead up. For me, Pat, we're going to the GOAT. This is one that... Tried and true. It's one of the more famous Tom Brady props. People love hammering it. People love getting a taste of it. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Joe Public on this one. Over half a yard rushing for Mr. Tom <laughs> Brady. I just can see it now. At home, seven eight minute drive, first quarter, fifteen plays, beautiful script from Byron Leftwich. Two yard line, one yard line, third down, Tom Brady. Sneaks that puppy in, hits the over. Buccaneers go up 7-0, give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes for the start of a very fun shootout. It just speaks to me, Pat. It speaks to me. Looking at the history of this bet, nine times. Can't believe it's come out of my mouth. The nine times that Tom Brady has played in the Super Bowl, he has had over half a yard in four of them and then had two other games where he had zero yards and had three games with negative yardage. Most recent Super Bowls, in 2019, he had negative two yards. 2018, he had six yards. 2017, he had 15 yards. And in 2015, he had negative three yards. Basically, this is a shot in the dark. I love the value where I'm going to be placing this wager at plus 152. That's my prop bet of the uh, of the little Super Bowl taster. Pat, what do you got? I was about to say, Russ, sounds like you're, you're telling on yourself a little bit because it doesn't sound like you think Tom Brady is going to be uh, taking many knee downs at the end of the game, huh? That's the one thing I am a little worried about, Pat. I am worried about the the kneel downs because we get two or three of those. It's you're basically cooked. You're basically right. cooked. How about Tom Brady against the Atlanta Falcons, leaving it all out on the line with 15 rushing yards? My guy was not losing. He was not losing <laughs> that comeback. <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable. There's a lot of good props out there, Russ. There's a lot of good ones. We just mentioned my guy, Scotty Miller. I think there's uh, some very interesting props between him and Antonio Brown. These ones are probably a little bit shot in the dark, though, but. Antonio Brown's over-under right now, 40 and a half. Mm-hmm. Scotty Miller's is at 20 and a half. I don't even know if I've seen Antonio Brown touch a football field in the last however many months, and I've seen Scotty Miller scoring touchdowns, making plays, and so I think that could be a very interesting one to keep your eyes out on. If, uh, 
if you have any um 20 and a half that's one catch for scott yeah exactly that's right, one Pat, catch you convinced me you don't need any more convention right there he's a man he's a man who he's a what have you done for me lately guy that's what we love about pat fetch and that's what we love about the props what have you I done do for have me a, lately We're, i do have one, one more for you though Let's hear it. And uh, it does include another Tom Brady over under .5, but it's going to be over .5 interceptions. The way that Bruce Arians' offense has been running the ball, I mean, they've just been heaving the ball, throwing the ball. Tom is, uh, I mean, he is in the last however many games thrown at least like five or six just pretty much jump balls deep over the middle of the field deep into coverage basically having you know all the trust in his world that his guys either going to go get it or at least go knock it down and so i think that you can count on tom at least throwing one pick i don't know if it'll be a bad pick or a lucky pick but there's going to be a lot of action in this game i mean it's goat versus the baby goat and so i think uh i think each quarterback slips into at least one interception and uh i think tom definitely does there is actually minus odds on that prop right now for over half an interception. I think it's like minus one, 120 or minus 130, something like that, uh, in favor of the yes. So risk it, no biscuit offense. Usually going to put some balls up for grabs. We saw that last week against the Green Bay Packers at three interceptions. And that'll end this week's Monday edition of Riding the 3x3. Three three. Patrick Fetch, Russ Heltman coming at you with the Super Bowl taster. We had the MLB hot stove update. And the big trade from Detroit to L.A. goes one Matthew Stafford, Newport Beach. Real quick, Pat, before we close things up, uh, I saw this uh, amazing tweet from Kelly Stafford uh, targeting Jalen Ramsey. Remember the famous Jalen Ramsey GQ article where he called out every single quarterback? My, oh, my. That's going to be a fun little fun little, fun little, little reunion. We cannot wait to see what the, what the entire scope of the NFL landscape is. Looks like in the next couple months, it's going to be changing. Could have 13 to 14 quarterbacks changing homes. Can't wait. Can't wait to see what happens. But first, we got to tie a bow on the 2020-2021 NFL season in Tampa Bay. They got through it. No postponements. Or we have postponements. No cancellations of games. And we got through every single playoff game on time. Super Bowl 55, fingers crossed. That one goes off unscathed. Pat and I will be back at you on Thursday evening with a full preview along with whatever the latest news in the sports world is. We'll be bringing it to you. Have a great week, everybody.